Chapter Two of The Wooden Horse by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. It had been called the House of the Flutes since the beginning of time people had said that the name was absurd and harry's grandfather a prosaic gentleman of rather violent radical opinions had made a definite attempt at a change but he had failed trojans had appeared from every part of the country angry trojans tearful trojans indignant trojans important trojans poor relation trojans and had one and all demanded that the name should remain and that the headquarters of the trojan tradition of the trojan power should continue to be the house of the flutes of course it had its origin in tradition in the early days when might was right and the stronger seized the worldly goods of the weaker and nobody said them nay there had been a sir jeremy trojan whose wife had been the talk of the countryside both because of her beauty and also because of her easy morals sir jeremy having departed on a journey the lovely lady clare entertained a neighbouring baron at her husband's bed and board and for two days all was well but sir jeremy unexpectedly returned and being a gentleman of a pleasant fancy walled up the room in which he had found the erring couple and left them inside he then sat outside and listened with a gentle pleasure to their cries and being a musician of no mean quality played on the flute from time to time to prevent the hours from being wearisome for three days he sat there until there came no more sounds from that room then he pursued his ordinary affairs but sought no other wife a grim little man with a certain sense of humour there are many other legends connected with the house you will find them in Bedeker, where it also says kind permission is accorded by sir henry trojan to visitors who desire to see the rooms during the residence of the family in london special attention should be paid to the gold drawing-room with its magnificent carving the library with its fine collection of old prints and the long gallery with the family portraits noticing especially the van dyke of sir hilary trojan temp chapter one and a little sketch by turner of the view from the west tower the gardens too are well worth a short inspection special attention being made of the long terrace with its magnificent sea-view a small charge is made by sir henry for admittance adults sixpence children half price with a view to benefiting the church a building recently restored and sadly in need of funds so far Bedeker, cornwall new edition 1908 the house is astonishingly beautiful seen from any point of view added to from time to time it has that air of surprise as of a building containing endless secrets only some of which it intends to reveal it is full of corners and angles and at the same time preserves a symmetry and grandeur of style that is surprising if one considers its haphazard construction and random additions part of its beauty is undoubtedly owing to its superb position it rises from the rock over the grey town at its feet like a protecting deity its two towers to west and east raised like giant hands its grey walls rising sheer from the steep shelving rock behind it the gentle rise of hills bending towards the inland valleys in front of it an unbroken stretch of sea 
it strikes the exact note that is in harmony with its color and surroundings the emblem of some wild survival from dark ages when that spot had been one of the most uncivilized in the whole of britain a land of wild uncouth people living in a state of perpetual watch and guard fearing the sea fearing the land cringingly superstitious because of their crying need of supernatural defence and indeed there is nothing more curious in the cornwall of to-day than this perpetual reminder of past superstitions dead gods strange pathetic survival of heathen ancestry the town of pendragon lying at the foot of the house of the flutes had little of this survival of former custom about it it was rapidly developing into that temple of british middle-class mediocrity a modern watering-place it had in the months of june july and august nigger minstrels a cafe chantant and a promenade with six bathing machines and two donkeys two new hotels had sprung up within the last two years a sufficient sign of its prosperity no pendragon was doing its best to forget its ancient superstitions and even seemed to regard the house of the flutes a little resentfully because of its reminder of a time when men scaled the rocks and stormed the walls and fell back dying and cursing into their ships riding at anchor in the little bay very different was collins cove the little fishing village that lay slightly to the right of the town here traditions were carefully guarded a strict watch was kept on the outside world and strangers were none too cheerfully received here down along was the old and true cornwall a land that had changed scarcely at all since those early heathen days that to the rest of the world are dim mysterious mythological but to a cornishman are as the events of yesterday high on the moor behind the cove stand four great rocks wild wind-beaten grimly permanent it is under their guardianship that the cove lies and it is something more than a mere superstitious reverence that those inhabitants of down along pay to those darkly mysterious figures seen in the fading light of the dying day when cornish mists are winding and twisting over the breast of the moor these four rocks seem to take a living shape to grow in size and to whisper to those that care to hear old stories of the slaughter that had stained the soil at their feet on an earlier day from harry's windows the town and the sea were hidden immediately below him lay the tennis lawns and the rose garden and gleaming in the distance at the end of the long walk two white statues that had fascinated him in his boyhood his first waking thought on the morning after his arrival was to look for these statues and when he saw them gleaming in the sun just as they used to do there swept over him a feeling of youth and vigour such as he had never known before those twenty years in new zealand were after all to go for nothing they were to be as though they had had no existence and he was to be the young energetic man of twenty-five able to enter into his son's point of view able to share his life and vitality and at the same time to give him the benefit of his riper experience through his open window came the faint distant beating of the sea a bird flew past him a white flash of light some one was singing the refrain of a cornish chanty the swing of the tune came up to him from the garden and some of the words beat like little bells upon his brain calling up endless memories of his boyhood 
he looked at his watch and found that it was nine o'clock he had had no idea that it was so late he had asked to be called at seven but he had slept so soundly that he had not heard his man enter with his shaving water it was quite cold now and his razors were terribly blunt he cut himself badly a thing that he scarcely ever did but it was really unfortunate on this first morning when he had wanted everything to be at its best he came down to the breakfast-room humming the house seemed a palace of gold on this wonderful september morning the light came in floods through the great windows at the head of the stairs and shafts of golden light struck the walls and the china potpourri bowls and flashed wonderful colours out of a great venetian vase that stood by the hall door he found garrett and robin breakfasting alone claire and sir jeremy always had breakfast in their own rooms i'm afraid i'm awfully late said harry cheerfully clapping his brother on the back and putting his hand for a minute on robin's shoulder things all cold oh no said garrett scarcely looking up from his morning paper damned good kidneys robin said nothing he was watching his father curiously it was one of the trojan rules that you never talked at breakfast it was such an impossible meal altogether and one was always at one's worst at that time of the morning robin wondered whether his father would recognize this elementary rule or whether he would talk 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 as he had done last night they had had rather a bad time last night aunt claire had had a headache but his father had talked continuously about sheep and maoris and the pink terraces it had been just like a parish room magic lantern lecture some hours with our friends the maoris it had been very tiring poor aunt claire had grown whiter and whiter it was quite a relief when dinner had come to an end harry helped himself to kidneys and sat down by robin still humming the refrain of the cornish song he had heard at his window by jove i'm late mustard robin my boy can't think how i slept like that why in new zealand i was always up with the lark had to be you know there was always such eeps to do the bread old boy if you can get hold of it i remember once getting up at three in the morning to go and play cricket somewhere fearful hot day it was but i knocked up fifty i remember probably the bowling was awfully soft although i remember one chap pulling friend of durin's could fairly twist em down the pitch made you damned well jump talking of cricket i suppose you play robin did you get your cap or whatever they call it college colors you know oh cricket said robin indifferently no i don't play the chaps at king's who ran the games were rather outers pretty thoroughly barred by the decent men none of the gracchi went in for the sports oh said harry considerably surprised and who the deuce are the gracchi a society i was on said robin a little wearily it was so annoying to be forced to talk at breakfast a literary society essays with a special attention paid to the new literature we made it our boast that we never went back further than meredith except of course when one had to for origins and comparisons randall who's coming to stop for a few days was president last year and read some awfully good papers harry stared blankly he had thought that everyone played cricket and football especially when they were strong and healthy like robin he had not quite understood about the society and who was meredith i shall be glad to meet your friend he said is he still at cambridge 
oh randall said robin no he came down the same time as i did he only got a second in history although he was worth a first any day of the week but he had such lots of other things to do his papers for the gracchi took up any amount of time and then history rather bored him he's very popular here especially with all fallacy street people the fallacy street people repeated harry still more bewildered who are they oh i suppose you've forgotten said robin mildly surprised they're all the people who are intellectual in pendragon if you live in fallacy street you're one of the wits it's like belonging to the mermaid used to be you know in shakespeare's time they're really awfully clever some of them the miss ponsonby's and mrs Letary. aunt claire thinks no end of mrs Letary robin's voice sounded a little awed he had a great respect for fallacy street oh they won't have any room for me said harry laughing i'm an awfully stupid old duffer i haven't read anything at all except a bit of kipling barrack-room ballads seems a waste of time to read somehow that his father had very little interest in literature robin had discovered some time before but that he should boast of it openly laughingly was really rather terrible harry was silent for a few minutes he had evidently made a blunder in his choice of a subject but it was really difficult where are we going this morning robin he said at last oh i say robin looked a little unhappy i'm awfully sorry father i'm really afraid i can't come out this morning there's a box of books that have positively got to get off to randall's place to-night i daren't keep them any longer i'd do it this afternoon only it's aunt claire's at home day and she always likes me to help her i'm really awfully sorry but there are lots of other mornings aren't there i simply must get those books off this morning why of course said harry cheerfully there's plenty of time he was dreadfully disappointed he had often thought of that first stroll with robin they would discuss the changes since harry's day robin would point out the new points of interest and perhaps introduce him to some of his friends it had been a favourite picture of his during some of those lonely days in new zealand and now robin's aunt and college friend were to come before his father it was rather hard but then on second thoughts how unreasonable it was of him to expect to take up robin's time like that he must fall into the ways of the house quietly unobtrusively with none of that jolting of other people's habits and regular customs it had been thoughtless of him and ridiculous he must be more careful breakfast ended he found himself alone robin left the room with the preoccupied air of a man of fifty the difficulty of choosing between jeffrey's story of my heart and walt whitman's leaves of grass if there wasn't a room in the box for both was terrible of course randall was coming himself in a few days and it would have been simpler to let him choose for himself but he had particularly asked for them to be sent by the fourth and to-day was the third robin had quite forgotten his father harry was alone from the garden came the sound of doves and through the window that overlooked the lawn the sun shone into the room harry lit a cigarette and went out the garden was changed there was a feeling of order and authority about it that it had never had before not a weed was to be seen on the paths 
flowers stretched in perfect order and discipline colors in harmony shapes and patterns of a tutored symmetry it was the perfection of a modern gardener's art he passed gardeners grave serious men with eyes intent on their work and he remembered the strange old man who had watched over the garden when he had been a boy an old man with a wild ragged beard and a skinny hand like the ancient mariners the garden had not prospered under his care it had been wild undisciplined tangled but he had been a teller of wonderful tales a seer of visions it was to him that harry had owed all the intimate knowledge of cornish lore and mystery that he possessed the gardeners that were there now were probably not cornish men at all strangers londoners perhaps they could watch that wonderful ever-changing view of sea and cliff and moor without any beating of the heart to them the crooked dusky windings of the cove the mighty grey rocks of trelinnen's jump the strange solemn permanency of the four grey stones on the moor were as nothing their hearts were probably in peckham he turned a little sadly from the ordered discipline of the garden the shining green of the lawns the blazing red and gold of its flowers almost annoyed him it was not what he had expected then suddenly he came upon a little tangled wood a strange deserted place with tall grasses and wild ferns and a little brook bubbling noisily over shining white and grey pebbles he remembered it how well he remembered it he had often been here in those early days he had tried to make a little mill in the brook he had searched there for some of those strange creatures about whom tony tregoff the old gardener had told him fawns and nymphs and the wild god pan he had never found anything but its wild disordered beauty had made a fitting setting for tony's wild disordered legends it was still almost exactly as it had been twenty years before no one had attempted improvement he stayed there for some time thinking regretting dreaming it was the only part of the garden that was real to him he passed down the avenue and out through the white stone gates as one in a dream something was stirring within him it was not that during those years in new zealand he had forgotten he had longed again and again with a passionate burning longing for the grey cliffs and the sea and the haunting loneliness of the moor for the cornwall that he had loved from the moment of his birth no he had never forgotten but there was waking in him again that strange half-inherited sense of the eternal presence of ancient days and old heathen ceremonies and the manners of men who had lived in that place a thousand years before he had known it when he was a boy when he had chased rabbits over the moor when he had seen the mist curling mysteriously from the sea and wrapping land and sky in a blinding curtain of grey when he had stood on trelannon's jump and watched the white savage tossing of the foam hundreds of feet below he had sometimes fancied that he saw them those wild bearded priests of cruelty waiting smilingly on the silent twilight moor for victims they had always been cruel something terrible in the very vagueness of their outline now the old thoughts came back to him and he almost fancied that he could see the strange faces in the shadows of the garden and feel their hot breath upon his cheek 
his passage through the streets of pendragon woke him from his dreams its almost startling modernity and obtrusive up-to-dateness laughed at his fancies it was very much changed since he had been there before like the garden it was the very apotheosis of order and modern methods the pendragon hotel astonished him by its stone pillars its glimpse of a wonderful cool softly carpeted hall its official in gold buttons who stood solemnly magnificent on the steps the admiration of several small boys who looked up into his face with wide-open eyes harry remembered the old pendragon hotel a dirty unmethodical place with beds that were never clean it had been something of a scandal but its landlord had been an amusing fellow and a capital teller of stories the shops dazzled him by their brilliance the hairdressers displayed a wonderful assortment of wigs in the window coloured bottles of every size and hue glittered in the chemists diamonds flashed in the jewellers the street seemed glorious to his colonial eyes the streets were not very crowded and no one seemed to be in a hurry auckland had been rather a busy little town no one had had very much time to spare but here under the mellow september sun people lingered and talked and the time and place seemed to stand still with a pleasant air of something restfully comfortable and above all containing nothing that wasn't in the very best taste it was this air of polite gentility that struck harry so strongly it had never been like that in the old days a ragged unkempt place of uncertain manners and a very evident poverty he rather resented its new polish and he regretted once more that he had not sought a london tailor before coming down to cornwall he suddenly recognized a face a middle-aged stout gentleman with a white waistcoat and the air of one who had managed to lead a virtuous life and nevertheless accumulate money he was evidently satisfied with both achievements it was barber bunny barber he had been rather a good chap at school with some taste for adventure he had had a wider horizon than most of them harry remembered how bunny had envied him in new zealand he looked prosperous and sedate now and the world must have treated him well harry spoke to him and was received with effusion trojan old man well i never i'm damned if i'd have recognized you how you've changed i heard you were coming back your boy told me fine chap that trojan you've every reason to be proud well to be sure come in and have a whisky and see the new club rooms just been done up and fairly knocked spots out of the old place he was extremely cordial but harry felt that he was under criticism barber's eyes looked him up and down there was almost a challenge in his glance as though he said we are quite ready to receive you if you are one of us but you must move with the times it's no good for you to be the same as in the old days we've all changed and so must you the club was magnificent harry stared in amazement at its luxury and comfort its wonderful armchairs and soft carpets its decorations and splendid space astonished him the old place had seemed rather fine to him as a boy but he saw now how bad it had really been he sank into one of the armchairs with that strange sense of angry resentment that he had felt before in the street gaining hotly upon him 
it's good isn't it said barber smiling with an almost personal satisfaction as though he had been largely responsible for the present improvements the membership's going up like anything and we're thinking of raising subscriptions very decent set of fellows on it too oh we're getting along splendidly here you must have noticed the change in the place i should think i have said harry the tone of his voice was a little regretful but it's not only here it's the whole town it's smartened up beyond all knowing but i must confess that dirty and dingy as they were i regret the old club rooms there was something extraordinarily homely and comfortable about them do you remember that old armchair with a hole in it gone long ago of course but i shall never sit in anything as nice again ah sentiment said barber smiling you won't find much of it in pendragon nowadays it doesn't do sentimentalists are always tories you'll find always wanting to keep the old things and all against progress we're all for progress now we've got some capital men on the town council harding belfast rogers snaith you won't remember them there's some talk of pulling down the cove and building new lodging-houses there we're crowded out in the summer and there are more people every year pull down the cove said harry aghast but you can't it's been there for hundreds of years it's one of the most picturesque places in cornwall that's the only thing said barber regretfully it acts rather well as a draw for painters and that sort of person and it makes some pretty picture postcards that are certain to sell oh i suppose i'll keep it for a bit but it will have to go ultimately pendragon's changing there was no doubt that it was and harry left the club some quarter of an hour later with dismay in his heart he had dreamed so long of the old times the old beauties the old quiet spirit of unprogressive content that this new eagerness to be up-to-date and modern this obvious determination to make pendragon a watering-place of the most detestable kind horrified him as he passed down the crooked uneven stone steps that led to the cove he felt indignant almost unhappy it was as if a friend had been insulted in his presence and he had been unable to defend him they said that the cove must go must make way for modern jerry-built lodging-houses in order that middle-class families from london and manchester might be sufficiently accommodated the cove had meant a great deal to him when a boy mystery romance pirates and smugglers strange cornish legends of saints and sinners knights and men at arms the little inn the bended thumb with its irregular red brick floor and its smoke-stained oaken rafters had been the theatre of many a stirring drama now it was to be pulled down it was a wonderfully beautiful morning and the little twisting street of the cove seemed to dance with its white shining cobbles in the light of the sun it was mysterious as ever but colours lingered in every corner purple mist seemed to hang about the dark alleys and twisting ways golden shafts of light flashed through the open cottage doorways into rooms where motes of dust danced like sprites in the sun smoke rose in little wreaths of pearl-gray blue into the cloudless sky 
there was perfect stillness in the air and from an overflowing pail that stood outside the bended thumb the clear drip drip of the water could be heard falling slowly into the white cobbles and close at hand was the gentle lap of the sea as it ran up the little shingly beach and then dragged slowly back again with a soft reluctant hiss it was the cove in its gentlest mood no one was about the women were preparing the dinner and the men were away at work no strange faces peered from inhospitable doorways there was nothing to-day that could give the stranger a sense of outlawry of almost savage avoidance of ordinary customs and manners harry's heart beat wildly as he walked down the street there was no change here it was as he had left it he was at home here as he could never be in that new strident pendragon with its utter disregard of tradition and beauty he saw that it was late and hurried back he had discovered a great deal during the morning at lunch he spoke of the changes that he had seen claire smiled why of course she said twenty years is a long time and pendragon has made great strides for my part i'm very glad it brings money to the shopkeepers and the place will be quite fashionable in a few years time we're all on the side of progress up here she added laughing but the cove said harry barber tells me that they are thinking of pulling it down to make way for lodging-houses or something well why not said claire it's really very much in the way where it is and is i am told extremely insanitary we must be practical nowadays or we are nothing you have to pay heavily for being romantic harry felt again that sensation of personal affront as though some close friend bound to him by many ties had been attacked violently in his presence it was unreasonable he knew but it was very strong and you robin he said what do you think of it i agree with aunt claire answered robin lightly as though it were a matter that interested him very little if the place is in the way it ought to go he's a sensible man barber the fact is harry said garrett you haven't changed quite as fast as the place has you'll see the point of view in a few weeks time he felt unreasonably ridiculously angry they were all treating him as a child as someone who would grow up one day perhaps but was at present at any rate immature in thought and word even with robin there was a half-implied superiority but the cove he cried vehemently is it nothing to any of you after all that it has been to us all our lives to our people to the whole place are you going to root it out and destroy it simply because the town isn't quite big enough to put up all the trippers that burden it in the summer don't you see what you will lose if you do i suppose you think that i am sentimental romantic but upon my word i can't see that you have improved pendragon very much in all these twenty years it was charming once a place with individuality independence now it is like anywhere else a miniature brighton he knew that he was wasting his words there was a pause and he felt that they were all three laughing at him yes robin as well he had only made a fool of himself they could not understand how much he had expected during those weary years of waiting how much he had expected and how much he had missed 
Claire looked round the room and was relieved to find that only Beldam was present. If one of the family was bent on being absurd, it was as well that there should only be one of the servants to hear him. "'You know that you are to be on your trial this afternoon, Harry,' she said. "'My trial?' he repeated, bewildered. "'Yes, it's my at-home day, you know, first Thursdays, and, of course, they'll all come to see you. We shall have the whole town.' she looked at him a little anxiously so much depended on how he behaved and she wasn't completely reassured by his present manner if he astonished them all this afternoon by saying things about the cove like that it would be too terrible how horrible he said laughing i'm very much afraid that i shan't do you justice claire i'm no good at small conversation his treating it so lightly made it worse and she wondered how she could force him to realize the seriousness of it. "'All the nicest people in Pendragon,' she said, "'and they are rather ridiculously critical, and, of course, they talk.' He looked at her and laughed. "'I wish they were Maoris,' he said. "'I shouldn't be nearly so frightened.' She leant over the table to emphasize her words. "'But it really makes a difference, Harry. First impressions count a lot. You'll be nice to them, won't you?' the laugh had left his eyes it was serious as he knew he had had no idea that he would have so to speak funked it so it was partly of course because of robin he did not want to make a fool of himself before the boy he was already beginning to realize what were the things that counted with robin the real pathos of the situation lay in his terrible anxiety to do the right thing if he had taken it quietly had trusted to his natural discretion and had left circumstances to develop of themselves he would have at any rate been less self-conscious but he could not let it alone he had met auckland society often enough and had indeed during his later years been something of a society man but there everything was straightforward and simple there was no tradition no convention no standard because other people did a thing was no reason why you should do it originality was welcomed rather than otherwise but here there were so many things that you must do and so very very many things that you mustn't and if you were a trojan matters were still more complicated it was after half-past four when he entered the drawing-room and claire was pouring out tea five or six ladies were already there and a clergyman of ample proportions and quite beautifully brushed hair he was introduced uh, mrs letary miss ponsonby miss lucy ponsonby miss verrill miss thisby verrill mr carroll our rector harry he shook hands and was terribly embarrassed he was conscious at once of that same sense of challenge that he had felt with barber in the morning they were not obviously staring but he knew that they were rapidly summing him up he coloured foolishly and stood for a moment awkwardly in the middle of the room tea harry said claire scones down by the fire everybody else is all right so look after yourself he found himself by mrs letary a small rather pretty woman with wide-open blue eyes and a mass of dark brown hair hidden beneath a large black hat that drooped over one ear she talked rapidly and with few pauses 
she was he discovered one of those persons whose conversation was a series of exclamation marks she was perpetually astonished delighted and disappointed with an amount of emotion that left her no breath and gave her hearers a small opinion of her sincerity it's too terribly funny she said opening her eyes very wide indeed that you should have been in that amazing place new zealand all sheep and maoris isn't it and if there's one thing that i should be likely to detest more than mutton i'm sure it would be maoris too dreadful and terrible but you look splendidly well mr crojan i never really never saw anyone with such a magnificent colour i suppose that it's that gorgeous sun and it never rains does it too delightful if there's one thing that i do adore it's the sun well i don't know about that said harry laughing we had rain pretty often in auckland and oh she said breaking in upon him that's too curious because do you know i thought you never had rain at all and i do detest rain so it's too distressing when one has a new frock or must go to some stupid place to see someone but i'm too awfully glad that you've come here mr crojan we do want waking up a little you know and i'm sure you're the very person to do it it would be too funny if you were to wake us all up you know harry was pleased there were no difficulties here at any rate hadn't robin mentioned mrs letary as one of the leaders of fallacy street he suddenly lost his shyness and wanted to become confidential he would tell her how glad he was to be back in england again how anxious he was to enter into all the fun and to take his part in all the work he wondered what she felt about the cove and he hoped that she would be an enemy to its proposed destruction but she yielded him no opportunity of speaking and he speedily discovered her opinion on the cove and such changes since you went away quite another place i'm glad to say pendragon is the sweetest little town and even the dear dirty trippers in the summer are the most delightful and amusing people you ever saw and now that they talk of pulling down that horrid dirty old cove it will be too splendid with lodging-houses and a bandstand and they do talk of an esplanade that would be too delightful while she was speaking he watched the room curiously robin had come in and was standing by the fireplace talking to the miss werrells two girls of the athletic type with short skirts and their hair brushed tightly back over their foreheads he was leaning with one arm on the mantelpiece and was looking down on the ladies with an air of languid interest his eyes were restless and every now and again glanced towards his father the two miss ponsonby's were massive ladies of any age over fifty clad in a voluminous black silk with several small reticules and iron chains their black hair bound in tight coils at the back of their heads each holding stiffly her teacup with a tenacity that was worthy of a better cause they were awe-inspiring and militant in spite of their motionless gravity there was something aggressive in their frowning brows and cold expressionless eyes harry thought that he had never seen two more terrifying persons claire was talking to the prosperous clergyman he smiled continually and now and again laughed in reply to some remark but it was always something restrained and carefully guarded 
he was obviously a man who laid great store by exterior circumstances that the sepulchre should be filled with dead men's bones might cause him pain but that it should be unwhitened would be to him a thing far more terrible claire turned round and addressed the room generally mr carroll has just been telling me of the shocking state of the cove she said insanitary isn't the word apparently things have gone too far and the only wise measure seems to be to root the place up completely it is sad of course it was a pretty old place but it has had its days i've been telling your brother about it miss trojan said mrs letary it's quite too terrible and i'm sure it's very bad for all of us to have anything quite so horrible so close to our houses there's no knowing what dreadful things we may not all of us be catching at this very moment she was interrupted by two new arrivals mrs and miss bethel they were a curious contrast the mother was the strangest old lady that harry had ever seen she was tiny in stature with snow-white hair and cheeks that were obviously rouged she wore a dress of curious shot silk decorated with much lace and her fingers were thick with jewels a large hat with great purple feathers waved above her head it was a fantastic and gaudy impression that she made and there was something rather pitiful in the contrast between her own obvious satisfaction with her personal appearance and the bizarre almost vulgar effect of such strangely contrasted colours she came mincing into the room with her head a little on one side but in spite of or perhaps because of her rather anxious smiles it was obvious that she was not altogether at her ease the girl who followed her was very different tall and very dark she was clothed quite simply in grey her hair was wonderful although it was at present hidden to some extent by her hat but its coal-black darkness had something intent almost luminous about it so that paradoxically its very blackness held hidden lights and colours but it was her manner that harry especially noticed she followed her mother with a strange upright carriage of the head and flash of the eyes that were almost defiant she was evidently expecting no very civil reception and she seemed to face the room with hostility and no very ready eagerness to please the effect on the room was marked mrs letary stopped speaking for a moment and rustled her skirts with a movement of displeasure the miss ponsonbys clutched their teacups even tighter than before and their brows became more clouded the miss Wirrells smiled confidentially at each other as though they shared some secret and even robin made a slight instinctive movement of displeasure harry felt at once an impulse of sympathy towards the girl it was almost as if this sudden hostility had made them friends he liked that independence of her carriage the pride in her eyes mrs letary's voice broke upon his ears which must be mr trojan extraordinarily provoking to go there i mean and find absolutely no one in all that way too and a horribly wet night and no train until nine o'clock in his endeavours to pick up the thread of the conversation he lost sight of their meeting with claire she indeed had greeted them with all the trojan coldness nothing could have been more sternly formal than her ah oh, mrs bethel i'm so glad that you're able to come 
so good of you to trouble to call won't you have some tea do find a seat somewhere miss bethel i hope you won't mind our all having finished harry was introduced and took them their tea it was obvious that for some reason unknown to him their presence there was undesired by all the company present including claire herself he also knew instinctively that their coming there had been some act of daring bravery undertaken perhaps with the hope that after all it might not be as they had feared the old lady's hand trembled as she took her teacup the colour had fled from her face and she sat there white and shaking as harry bent over her with the scones he saw to his horror that a tear was trembling on her eyelid her throat was moving convulsively at the same instant he knew that the girl's eyes were fixed upon him he saw them imploring beseeching him to help them it was a difficult situation but he smiled back at the girl and turned to the old lady do try these scones mrs bethel he said they are still hot and i can recommend them strongly i'm so glad to meet you my sister told me only this morning that she hoped you would come this afternoon as she wanted us to become acquainted it was a lie but he spoke it without hesitation knowing that it would reach claire's ears the little lady smiled nervously and looked up at him ah mr trojan she said it's very good of you i'm sure we are only too delighted it's not much gaiety that we can offer you here but such as it is she was actually making eyes at him the preposterous old person it was really a little pitiful with her gorgeous colours and her trembling assumption of a coquettish youth that had left her long ago her attempt to storm a difficult position by the worst of all possible tactics made him extremely sorry for the daughter who was forced to look on in silence his thoughts indeed were with the girl her splendid hair her eyes something wild almost rebellious that found a kindred note in himself curiously almost absurdly they were to a certain degree allies although they had not spoken he talked to her a little and she mentioned the cove it is a test of your cornish ancestry she said if you care for it i mean so many people here look on it as a kind of rubbish heap picturesque but untidy and it is the most beautiful place in the world i am glad that you feel like that he said quietly it meant a lot to me as a boy i have been sorry to find how unpopular it is now but i see that it still has its supporters ah you must talk to father she said he is always there we are a little old-fashioned i'm afraid there was in her voice in her smile something that stirred him strangely he felt as though he had met her before a long while ago he recognized little characteristics the way that she pushed back her hair when she was excited the beautiful curve of her neck when she raised her eyes to his the rise and fall of her bosom it was all strangely individually familiar as though he had often watched her do the same things in the same way before in some other place he had forgotten the others claire robin the miss ponsonby's mrs letary and when they had all gone he did not realize that he had in any way neglected them after miss bethel had left the room followed by the preposterous old mother 
he stood at the window watching the lights of the town shining mistily through the black network of trees in the drive he must meet her again claire spoke to him and he turned round i am afraid you have made the miss ponsonby's enemies for life she said you never spoke to them once i warned you that they were the most important people in the place oh the miss ponsonby's said harry carelessly and robin stood amazed End of chapter 2